Well, guys, good morning. If you got your Bibles, open up with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. While you're opening there, about a year ago, my family and I, we went over to Denver, and we were just killing some time for a weekend, going to have a little fun. And while we were driving over, Amelie and I started a conversation about wherever we wanted to go uh, for dinner. We wanted to do something a little bit different. And all of a sudden, she had an idea of a place her parents used to take her to when she was a kid. And she mentioned it to me, and, and I was like, I w- I've been there too. And, and when I was eight years old, I thought it was like the coolest place ever, right? And you might know this restaurant. It's a restaurant where there are cliff divers, Okay. Yeah, you know the place. I think, I think the place was like 30 years old when I went there when I was eight, and it's still there. And I don't think they've ever remodeled. I don't think, I think it's, it's, everything's still exactly the same. But we thought, why not? We're like, our kids will like this. And we, and we showed up, and it looks a little shady, and we're like, let's, let's give it a try. Let's go in. And, and at first, my girls are kind of looking around. We didn't tell them what it was. You know, we, we're just kind of in this long line, and they're thinking, we've stood in line for tacos like a couple times every day our whole life. So this is a normal thing, right? Well, we finally, we get our trays, and we walk around the corner, and when it opens up, and, and, and my, my youngest daughter, Kayla, she looks out, and she sees that there's a man standing up on a rock, and he jumps off the rock and does a flip and lands in the pool. She goes, oh my gosh, and turns around and goes, Dad, what is this place? <laughs> like, we got him. We're hooked, right? So we sit down and I start telling them, girls, you have a full experience here. We're not just going to eat tacos here. We're going to watch a show. There's cliff divers. We're going to go to the arcade. There's all sorts of stuff to do. And I begin explaining to them everything that they should expect there. Because if they know what to expect, they could get so much more out of the whole experience of being there. And this last week, as I was thinking uh, about what God would have me speak this weekend, this question popped up in my mind where Kayla looked at me and goes, what is this place? And I thought, you know what, that is a question I want to apply to our church today. What is this place? What is church? What is the house of God? What is social church? Because I think in the same way where I took a little time to explain to my girls what you should expect when you're here at this restaurant so you can get the very most out of it. I think there are a lot of us that need to have the conversation where we, we understand what should we expect when we come to the house of God? What should we expect anytime we join together as a church family and what does God expect of us? And if we understand that, we can get so much more out of it. And I want to go ahead and just jump right into this as we look in a passage in in Genesis chapter 28, there's a man by the name of Jacob, and he has an experience with God, and it's a very powerful experience with God that, that shapes what we understand about what it means to be a church. And I want to just look at this here today. It says in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, and then taking one of the stones... so. Now think of the symbolism here because the entire Bible talks about Jesus being the cornerstone, okay? Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Okay, so this dream, it represents something and actually it represents someone. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord... The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And then verse 16 says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There's none other than the, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel. Bethel actually means the house of God. Though the city used to be called Luz. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's house, then the, the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. So this is actually the beginning of the church. He says, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. So in Genesis 28 here, we see the birth of the church. You might say, well, wait, the birth of the church is actually discussed in Acts chapter 2. Well, we see the birth of the church family coming together as it's seen today takes place in Acts chapter 2, the New Testament church. But the first mention we have of the house of God, of the church, is found here in Genesis 28. And what happens is Jacob has such a powerful encounter with God, and a couple things happen. And he goes, well, this is God's house. Uh, this is exactly what I would expect from God's house. If this is going to be a place where I was going to meet with God, if I was going to encounter him, this is what I would expect. And he names the place Bethel. Beth means house, house. El means God. So Bethel. He says this is the house of God. So today I want to ask the question, you know, what, what do you and I need to understand about church? So that we can get the very most out of our experiences. When we join together week after week, on the weekends and the times we come together in classes and in small groups, what do we need to understand about God's house so we can get the most out of it? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we know right now that your word will not return to you void. And I believe today that as we look in this passage and, and we take something like a topic of understanding what to expect in this place. I believe that you can speak to every one of us in this room. And I believe you have a word for every one of us in this room. I believe you want to encourage us and, and help us to understand you more and know you more. And that's our prayer today is that we would see Jesus more and that we would understand your love for us in a greater way before we leave here. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to jump into it. We just have a little bit of time left together this morning. So I'm going to jump into these points. There are three things that happen in Jacob's encounter with God here. And, and after these three things happen, he goes, surely this is the house of God. So what three things do we need to understand should always take place in the house of God? Number one, church is a connection. Church is a connection. Church is a place where you connect with God. That every time you come together, you should connect with God. See, if you go to church and you, you hear good teaching and you hear good worship, I mean, let's be honest, you hear great teaching <laughs> and you hear great worship, <laughs> if you come to church and you hear good teaching and you hear good worship but you didn't connect with God, you, you didn't experience church that day. 
And, and we see this because it was in this place that was called Bethel, the house of God, that Jacob connected with God. He had an encounter with him. And, and it's spoken of very powerfully here where, where we see that, that, that he has an encounter where he talks about a ladder or a stairway ascending into heaven. It's found in verse 12. He says, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and there above it stood the Lord. See, many scriptures in the Old Testament have a New Testament confirmation that talk about the exact same passages because all of these passages, both Old Testament and New Testament, point to Jesus. And we see that there's a confirmation for this passage found in John chapter 1. And it takes place here where Philip just met Jesus and he's going to get his brother Nathaniel to tell him, I've met the Messiah. And you've got to come meet the Messiah. And he goes and finds his brother sitting underneath a fig tree and says, you've got, to, you've got to come with me and meet Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Come with me right now. And, and we see in John chapter 1, verse 47, it says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. I mean, this has got to be surprising for him because Nathaniel has no idea who Jesus is, never talked to him before, never seen him before, had no connection with him before. And Jesus is already talking about, I already know everything about Nathaniel. I know about what's going on. There's nothing false in him. So Nathaniel's surprised with, how in the world do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told, I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. In other words, watch this. I'm going I'm to blow your mind. And then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus makes a very powerful statement here because every Israelite would have understood Jacob's ladder, this, this stairway to heaven. They would have understood the, the teaching about the fact that Jacob laid down at Bethel and saw that, that there was a ladder, a, a stairway where angels were connected to, to be able to go up into heaven. And, and Jesus is saying, uh, you're going to see me and you're going to see that I am that connection to heaven. He, he's declaring to Nathaniel and he's declaring to every one of us that that Jesus, I, I am the, the connection to, to heaven. If, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to get away from the earthly things and get into the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, I'm that connection. And, and we recognize right off the bat that, that every one of us need to encounter Jesus for it to be church. Because church is a connection with God. And, and church is when you become aware of God's presence. When you become aware of Wait a minute, I, I didn't recognize it before, but, but Jesus is in this place. And that's why this place is so different. That's why there's something so, so strange here, yet so wonderful here, so beautiful here, is there's a connection to heaven here, and that connection is Jesus. Have you ever been surprised by, by something that you didn't know it was there before, and all of a sudden you become awakened, and you're aware of it now? This last week I went on a hike in the mountains. And I wasn't paying any attention. I go in the mountains all the time, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about anything. I'm just walking along, kicking rocks, whistling, looking around. There's a flower, there's a butterfly, you know, just have, having a good time walking through the woods. And I see there's a puddle of mud before me, and, and I'm just kind of not paying attention at all. I look down there, and there's a huge bear paw print right there in this puddle of mud. I became acutely aware that I was not alone on this trail at this moment. 
the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I started, I, I stopped what I was doing, and I slowly turned around and looked and made sure, like, I'm not being followed. I, I went from being completely unaware to, to very acutely aware that something is around me right now. I'm not alone. And, and guys, that's what should take place in church. Have you ever had that connection with God where all of a sudden you weren't aware of his presence and then, then something happens. Maybe you're in a worship uh, set and you're singing out worship songs to God or maybe the person next to you is singing worship and you're just sitting there with your hands in your pockets and your arms folded and, and, and you're not really paying attention but then something happens all along, uh, along the way and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, God is in this place. I feel that there's something going on here. I feel that something's happening on the inside. All of a sudden, I'm experiencing some encouragement here, like, like there's some sort of a connection. What's sad is there are people that come into this service every week that miss out on that experience. It would come in thinking, you know, church is just like an, an exhibit, like we're exhibiting the power of God, the presence of God. So it's about what the performance can take place, that someone could come up here and sing a good song, or someone could, up, could come up here and teach a lesson, uh, and we miss the fact that, wait a minute, church first and foremost should be a connection with God. So you might be sitting next to someone who the whole time they've been connecting with God and they're, they're, they're talking with him, they're loving on him, they're, they're experiencing his presence and the, the person right next to you might be missing it. And, and why? Why is that? Well, because I think you can go into a place and if you don't know what to expect, you're not going to get the full experience. And we see here that Bethel, the house of God, is a place where first and foremost you have a connection with God. And he's saying, you know what? Surely God is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Maybe you've had that experience today where you became aware of God's presence in your life and in this place. Every time you come into the house of God, you should expect his presence. So number one, church is a connection. Number two, church is a conversation. Church is a conversation. See, once you connect with God, he wants to tell you something. He wants to tell you something. And see, conversations are never just one-sided. A conversation should always have a response to it. Otherwise, it's just a monologue. See, I, I didn't understand this as a young man. I didn't understand what conversation was. In fact, I spent so much time with other guys when I was a young man that I didn't really learn this too well. In fact, I had a friend of mine who I only get to see him every once in a while now, but he's a friend who lives in Texas, and, and we would literally go camping together and spend time in the mountains where... We would go an entire day without speaking to one another. And, and if there's guys in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got, you've got people in your life like that where we'd be out fishing at a lake and a fish jumps and he kind of elbow me and, and point. And we see the water ripple and we both know cast over that way. Not a word was ever spoken, all right? And I was fine with that as a young man. Now, this really hurt me when it came to conversations because 15 years ago, I got married to a woman. Okay? My understanding of conversations has drastically changed since then. In fact, I, not only am I married to a woman, I have two girls that live in my house at 9 and 11. Don't you know there is a lot of conversation that takes place in my house? Talk all the time. There's always talk going on. Now, I remember as a young man, I just got married, and and I was sitting there on the couch. Amelie had just cooked dinner, and, and we were eating the dinner. And as I fi uh, finished my dinner, she looks over at me. She goes, honey, I, I cooked dinner. Would you mind uh, getting up and doing the dishes? And, and I, I just I stood up, 
and I walked into the kitchen, and I started doing the dishes. Now, in my mind, the whole time, I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing a good thing. I, I'm standing here at the dishwasher. I, I'm getting it done. And I remember reading somewhere, if, you, if you're married and you want to look sexy in front of your spouse, then do the dishes. So here I am doing the dishes thinking, man, look at my moves. I am sexy over here, right? So I'm thinking, like, things are really good right now. And, and, and I finish the dishes, and I hit the start button, the dishwasher, and I, and, and I walk into the living room, sit back down, and look over at Alma, and she goes, Dan, are we okay? <laughs> what are you talking about? I just did the dishes. Don't I look sexy, baby? <laughs> and she's like, I asked you to get up and do the dishes, and you didn't even respond to me. Like, what are you talking about? Didn't respond. I got up and did the dishes. She goes, but I, I talked to you, and you didn't talk back to me. And as a young man, I had to learn that the conversations are never supposed to just be one-sided. And we see in Genesis 28 that, that God spoke to Jacob, but then Jacob spoke back to God. There was a conversation that took place there. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is is we can end up on one side of the spectrum or the other where, where, where maybe we're, we're listening to God, we're hearing what He has to say, but we're never talking back to Him. And we'll hear, we'll hear teachings, we'll, we'll hear Him give direction for us in our life, and we never respond to Him, and we never come back and say, God, thank you for that, thank you for what you're doing, and talk to Him. Or, or we find ourselves on the other, side of the, conver- or, uh, the other side of the conversation where we're just continually talking to God, but not listening. And we like come and sit down before God, and I got my checklist. God, I want you to fix this and fix that? Would you help me with this area of work? And I need this financially. Would you do this? And would you do that? Bye. See you later. And we walk out and it's like, we, we have all this to say to God, but we'll never really listen to him. And we see that there's, there's something that happens in this story. That, that Jacob goes, God talked to me and I talked back to him, so certainly this must be the house of God. So what do we get from that? As we go, okay, what should we expect in church? Is we should expect that every time we come to church, there should be a conversation with God. Not, not just with the people around you and God, but with you and God. That, that, that God wants to spot, speak to you. He wants to talk to you, and he wants you to talk back to him. In fact, there are many different ways that God speaks to us at church. And, I, and, and three quick ways, just some sub-points for this message so you can understand. Three ways that God will speak to you in church. Number one is correction. Number two is direction. And number three is inspiration. You might come into church and God might speak correction to you. Correction is when you're headed in, in a certain path and you need to change directions. Think about it. Uh, all the time we have people come into the Grand Junction because they're visiting, they're going to a different festival or something like that. And imagine with me, what if we were down in the parking lot of the mall and we see a car pull up with out-of-state plates and, and, and someone comes over and talks to them, I see you guys are out-of-state. What are you doing here in Grand Junction? Oh, we've come for the Palisade Peach Festival. What? That's why we're here. We're excited about we've heard good things we want to go see the palisade peach festival and experience that that's awesome and i said yeah so we're going to go uh, we're just going to grab a little bite here and then we're going to hit in the car and head towards uh utah until we get there and the person says whoa, whoa, wait a minute so you're going to the palisade peach festival right yeah well you can't head towards utah if you if you head west you're never going to get there you got to get on the interstate and go east towards the mountains and then once you uh, you head towards the mountains you're going to find palisade that way uh, that that's correction with the person that brought that information to them and corrected the information is that person mean no is that is that person rude is he trying to hurt them no no but it's funny a lot of times when we hear correction 
we automatically get defensive and think, well, this person must be against me. They have a problem with me. Uh, this same hike I told you about where I saw the bear print in the mud. When I got back, it was really funny because it was a really long, difficult hike, and I had my GPS with me to, to make sure I found my way back out. And when I got back to the trailhead where my Jeep was, there was a truck there with Texas plates on it. And, and out of the truck popped three old men, all 75 years old or older. Now, three cowboys from Texas, they, it's funny, they have a, just as much to say as my two young daughters had to say, okay? I get to this trailhead, and I'm exhausted, and they're talking 90 miles an hour. And they told me they were there because they were wanting to see if they could get their horses up to the top. And this one guy, uh, he, he said, yeah, I've been here before. It's probably 20 years ago. And he goes, it's probably only like four or five miles up to the top there. And I pulled my GPS out, and I said, no, it's, it's really closer to six miles. And, man, it offended this guy. He, he started firing off. He goes, no, I've been there before. It's only like four or five miles, and you, you don't know what you're talking about. Meanwhile, the other two guys that are with him looked at my GPS and are like, yeah, it looks like that's about six miles. It, but he was so offended by the fact that there was correction that maybe what he thought was a little bit wrong. And, and see, what happens in church a lot of times is we come into church and we have a mindset of, I want to accomplish a certain thing. I want my marriage to look this way. I want to have a relationship with God that looks this way. And we, we have a destination we're trying to get to. And in church, you might hear from God. He might say, well, if that's the case, you need to turn around. You need to go in a different direction. There's some things you're doing that need to be corrected. They need to be stopped. And that's not God being mean. That's God saying, you know what? If you want to get to your destiny, you have to make a change. So God speaks to us many times through correction. You'll feel that when you come together in the house of God. Another way that he'll talk to you is through direction. Well, how is that different than correction? Well, correction is if you think you're going in the right direction and, and that gets corrected. Direction is, I don't know where to go. God, I don't know if I should sell this house. I don't know if I, should, if I should buy this business. I don't know if I should put my kids in this school or that school. And all the time, how often do we come into church and we're praying, God, give me direction. I need to know what to do. It's a lot of times as we come into church that God will begin to give us a peace in an area. We have different decisions. I could take this path or this path, and they both looked good beforehand, but after I've met with God, it's like now I know that I feel more peace when it comes to making this decision as opposed to going that way. And that's one of the ways that God will guide us. He'll, he'll begin to give you di direction, or the last way that he speaks to you is through inspiration. Imagine the same family that was trying to get to the Palisade Peach Festival, if they were just driving down the interstate, and they kept thinking, I think we're going to get there, but I don't know, it's just been so long, and then all of a sudden, they look down the road, and they see a billboard that says, Palisade Peach Festival in one mile. What's that going to do? It's going to inspire them, keep going, keep moving, you got it, because if you haven't heard inspiration long enough, you'll start to question and go, I don't know if I'm still heading in the right direction, I don't know if my life's still going the way it should be, and, and God wants to send you signs where he inspires you, keep going, keep doing it. I like what you're doing right here. There's going to be good outcomes, so keep moving down this path. Examples of this, well, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You say, well, God said that about Jesus. Well, he would say that about you too. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I, I see what you're doing. I see the way you're raising your kids. I, I see the way you're putting me first. I see the way you're trusting me. And just keep going. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. See, every time we meet together in the house of God, there's, there, number one, should be a connection. You should expect 
to connect with God every time you come to this place. But number two, there should be a conversation. Not, not just him talking to us, but us talking back to him, lifting our voices, singing, worshiping him, thanking him. And then the last thing is church is a commitment. Church is a commitment. As we look in, in Genesis chapter 28, we see that Jacob, after God spoke to him and gave him direction, he committed to that. He made a commitment there. He, in fact, he made a vow. And, if, and see, if you're going to hear directional change or correction for your life, you have to commit to that directional change if you're going to see any outcome. And Jacob's saying, God, okay, if you tell me you're going to do all this for me, you're going to help me on my journey, then I'm going to commit to go on this journey so I can see you be faithful in my life. I, I want to see this. I'm going to commit to it. And, and he makes a vow here. He says, I'm going to commit to you. And this, this passage ended in verse 22. And he says, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So he's saying, I, I'm going to tithe. I, I, I trust you so much. I'm going, to, I'm going to commit to you so much that I'm even going to let my wallet get involved. That's how you know when you're truly committed to something. There, there is no true commitment until your wallet gets involved. Think about it. You, my, my wife will go to the store and she'll be shopping. And I'll have to ask her the question, are you shopping? Are you shopping shopping? <laughs> you know, and there's a difference. Like you say it twice and that means she has her wallet with her. You know, if, if you only say it once, she's just looking around. But as soon as you bring your wallet into the, into the situation, then there's, there's commitment there. There's buying. And, and Jesus says, he, he makes it, it makes it very clear here. He says this in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hear people quote this and get this backwards all the time, where they think, you know what, wherever your heart is, then, then your money's going to be there. Wherever your passion is, that's where you're going to spend your money. And Jesus is saying it's the opposite. Wherever you want your heart to be, you got to put your treasure there and your heart's going to follow. Think about it. If, you, if you've never invested in a stock before and you buy a stock, You've never cared what that stock has done before, but now that you're bought into the stock, your heart is attached to it. So now you're getting online, you're looking up, what's the stock doing today? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is there something I should do? Should I buy? Should I sell? And you start worrying about it, you start thinking about it, because now all of a sudden your heart is connected to it because you put your treasure there. And Jesus is saying in the same way, if you want to fall more in love with the things of God, that's why he gives us this very elementary step of, okay, then trust me with your money first. And this is what Jacob did. He said, okay, if you're making this promise to me, if you're making this commitment to me, then I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to put my money first. And if my treasure is there in the kingdom of God, then I'm going to care more about it. I'm going to be more passionate about it. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray for what God is doing in our city instead of being so focused on so many other things. But, but see, this commitment of the house of God is not just a financial commitment. It's a commitment of our time as well. It's a, it's a commitment of money, but it's a commitment of time as well. You need to commit to, to spending the time in the house of God so you can reap the benefits of what, of what comes along with that. See, Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up in meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, all the more as they see the day approaching. So he's saying, Guys, we got to be the type of people, we don't give up and meet together, but we make a commitment that every Sunday we're going to get together and meet together. I hear people all the time, they say things like, I don't need to go to church, I, I, I visit with God in the mountains. And it can confuse a lot of people because the truth is God can meet with you in the mountains. And he can meet with you in your car. And he can meet with you in the workplace. But, but the Bible shows us something very powerful about when we come together in the house of God, there's something special that takes place there. 
And the Bible says in Hebrews that there's an encouragement that takes place there, that we should commit to encouraging one another. And we should look at this place as a time that when we commit to coming here, I should leave here more encouraged. And yeah, God could be with you in the mountains, but he's going to meet with you here. He tells us that. And when he meets with you here, he also has put other people around you to encourage you. But there's a responsibility that comes with that. Because we could never just fall into the mindset of saying, okay, then when I need encouragement, I'm going to go to church. And, and then we don't go to church when we feel like we don't need encouragement. Because how does that work out if then everyone who comes to church is here just, I need encouragement. And no one is here giving the encouragement. There might be times, you might be here today when you look at your life and you're like, I'm doing great. I feel successful. I feel awesome. And sometimes we're tempted in those times when we get up to go on a Sunday morning and go, I don't know if I need to go to church today. I'm, everything's going fine. Well, this verse shows us, apparently, if we, if we look in Hebrews, apparently it's those times when, when we get into a situation where we're like, I'm doing great, then you need to get up and go, today I have a responsibility. Today i got to get there and i got to look for someone that I can pray for and encourage. And there's going to be someone whose work week has been awful and they're just trying to hold on. And I want to go pray for them and encourage them today. See, every time we come into the house of God, there are things we should expect. And, and if you want to get the most out of your experience here every Sunday, you've got to come in expectant. You can't just come in and go, yeah, it was just another service. There was just worship and then a teaching and then we left. No, we got to come in and we got to be going. I'm looking for a connection with God today. I'm looking for a conversation with God today. And I'm looking to commit to God today. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And I thank you for the fact that you are willing to meet with us. And I pray today that as, as we leave here, that we would leave encouraged. And God, if, we're, if we are encouraged, help us find someone to encourage. And I pray right now as we enter a new season, a new school year, that, that God, we would renew our commitment to you. And that we say, God, I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first when it comes to my time. I'm putting you first when it comes to my finances. I'm putting you first when it comes to my decisions. And, and God, as we commit to you, we want to thank you for the fact that you've already committed to us and you're already blessing us and changing us. So God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. Please be with us as we leave here today. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I love you. And we'll see you next week.